Learn how to build a better sign and print shop from a few crusty sign guys who've made more mistakes than they care to admit. Conversations and advice on pricing, sales, marketing, workflow, growth, and more. You're listening to the Better Sign Shop Podcast with your hosts, Peter Kurunis, Michael Riley, and Bryant Gillespie. Before we jump into the episode, I'd like to give a shout out to our sponsor, GCI Digital Imaging, grand format printer to the trade. We talk a lot about outsourcing on the podcast and the importance of having good partners. And GCI Digital Imaging is a good partner to have. Owner TJ Bedact and his team focus on providing killer customer service, just the way grandmother used to make it. If you're interested in learning their approach to business, hop back into the archives to episode nine, where the guys and I interview TJ about customer experience. So if you're looking for a high quality trade printer for banners, wraps, and other printed graphics that your customers throw at you, check out GCI Digital Imaging at printgci.com. All right, guys, welcome to the next edition of the Better Sign Shop Podcast. A little rusty here. Uh, that's not the co-host of the podcast. That is Mike the Sign, Tito Burrito. I I don't I don't I don't know, man. I like Michael Riley, the Sign Design Samurai. Mike, how are you, dude? I, I can live with that. I think we've made our way through the uh, the Mexican restaurant menu at this point. I know we're out of guacamole. Not the only thing we haven't touched on yet. I'm good. It's been a while since I've been here. I, I'm definitely going to be rusty today. I apologize in advance. Yeah, no, it's all right, man. Yeah, we've missed you on the show. Uh, Peter is not quite here yet. He's coming. Uh, we wanted to record a little bit before we have our special guest on. I'm really excited about that. I'm hoping she has some nicknames for us. Something. We gotta. <laughs> we gotta keep this train moving. You know, I. Uh, one thing I did notice recently, Mike, is uh, on Spotify. The Spotify feed has the ability to do uh, like feedback now, and like somebody wrote in and was like. Love Mike's nickname. I can't remember what they put, actually. Let's see if I can find that real quick. I think I, I posted it here, right? I didn't know you could leave uh, feedback on Spotify. That's Mike's nickname. Okay, this is from Bruzo1 on Spotify. This is on the Sign Shop Management Software episode. Mike's nickname, the Sign Samurai or the Sign Ninja. And I... I I maybe the the sign design samurai that's got a nice ring to it for you. I I can't see you as a sign ninja at all. No, I don't move fast enough for that. I'm more of a sloth than a. It's <laughs> you, you definitely see me coming. <laughs> no, I, I like the direction that's moving in more of a you know you get out Off kind of way. Mexican food, it, 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 yeah, and, and not rolled up in a tortilla anymore. I, samurai is, you know, they have weapons and those are cool. Tom Cruise played a samurai. Indeed. Well, cool, man. I, I'm I'm glad we've got you back for this episode. Again, yeah, we'll wait on Peter to show up, but to uh, set this one up, you know, we've got a guest. Um, I, I started writing a column for Signs of the Times. How long ago was that? A couple months ago. And when I first started, one of the editors 
was like, hey, can you write like this? And they linked to our guest today. And I read her columns. I was like, hey, this is this is really good writing. She is of the same mindset as the rest of us. Let's have her on the podcast. She cool. is also a Signorama owner. So I know I, I'm curious how that's going to play with Pete, former Fast Signs. Maybe we have like a, a head-to-head battle here. I don't know. Yes. Epic throwdown franchisee. I can't wait. I'm excited for this. Epic throwdown. All right. Well, what do you think? Should we bring Maggie on? Let's do it. Excellent. <laughs> All right, guys. And we're back with our guest, Maggie Harlow, the owner of Sinorama Louisville. Is it downtown? Is that what you refer to it as, Maggie? I refer to it as downtown just because downtown. Uh, we have okay. four in Louisville and uh, Louisville. Uh, okay. And uh, so mine, we try to kind of differentiate. So yeah, mine mine's Gotcha. Downtown. Okay. All right. Yes. We have Maggie Harlow from Sinorama downtown with us. Maggie is a fellow Signs of the Times columnist and many time award winner I've, I've seen. And uh, she writes killer columns for Signs of the Times. That's how I was introduced. I said, hey, we've got to have her on the podcast. So here she is. Maggie, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. I was, um, it was fun to go back and listen to some of your podcasts and get catch the vibe. And I was like, okay, I can hang with these guys, even though, yeah. you know, there's some nemesis energy, but you know what they got to have that. You got to have that. Yeah. Mike. Yeah. Mike, come on. <laughs> is that aimed at me or is that aimed at Peter? Peter's Peter's choice of words. <laughs> She's she's on team red. I'm on team blue or was on team blue here. All right. That's what she's referring to. But at the end of the day, all good. We're friends. We're family. We're sign shop owners. That's right. That's right. It's all, it's nothing but love coming over from this side (laughs) of the fence. Is there, I got to ask you all, is there like a Signorama versus Fast Signs like franchise, like softball league or anything? Like, do you guys get together? It'd be amazing. You know what? Kickball. (laughs) Kickball. Dodgeball. Dodgeball yeah. would be very satisfying. Dodgeball. Yeah, maybe a corn cornhole or I don't know. We got we got to think about that. We got to think about that. I was gonna say probably pickleball with the growth with the growth of that sport. Maybe uh, it could get yeah. quite competitive. Yeah, I'm in. Are you I'm a, in? Are you a pickleball guy, Peter? Do I, no, no. Okay, <laughs> right, I was just making sure. What is pickleball? I keep hearing about it. I don't even un- I don't even understand it. It's like ping pong and tennis, and it, you have to be like fifty five and older to really enjoy yeah. it. Yeah, you don't meet the requirements. I mean, you're not nearly yeah. old enough. No, no, I'm not. I'm a, I, I'm a, I'll, I'll take anybody on a tennis court though with a real. He's re- that's a real sport. Peter's retired twice, so that's why I asked. I was just just making sure. Oh, yes. <laughs> All right, Maggie, super awesome to have you. Hey, tell us a little about your story. Like, how did you get into the sign business? I think all that's right. where we start with all of our guests. Let's start with how I entered into this insane industry. Uh, I was actually working for my family's business. My father um, owned a car dealership, and I grew up working there, doing everything, and then. When I graduated from college, 
he invited me to, to work full time and I thought, well, I'll give it a shot. wasn't really excited about it, but it ended up being amazing working for my dad and learning all the different parts of a dealership. A dealership is, is an insane combination of different businesses. You have car sales, you have car repair, you have body shop, you have parts, and they all kind of, they have to work in unison, but they also kind of compete with each other. It's, it's a really wild kind of dynamic. So I really learned a lot of nuance about team dynamics and sales and customer service and all of that. So when he was ready to retire, he asked me if I wanted to buy it. And I thought, it's just a mom and pop dealership and those are dying. You know, those are going away. So I, I said, I don't, I don't think so. Let's sell it. And so he sold it and I was out of a job. So I went to work for the, the guys who bought it, but figured out really quickly, oh, I am not a good employee. Like <laughs> they are going to fire me. So I need to fire them first. So I started looking around for businesses. I thought, well, let me open a business. Uh, my husband was in construction. He had a small remodeling business. So I started looking at franchises because I thought, you know, all I know is cars and I'll just look at franchises and they'll send me ideas. So all these different ideas came in. Um, and Sinorama, the sign business was the only one that my husband and I could agree on. He was like, wow, you don't want to wash dogs. You don't want to make sandwiches. You won't even make me a sandwich. You know, what are you talking about? I was like, you're right. I don't want to own a yep. restaurant. So it just made sense. And he um, decided once I kind of got, you know, the franchise you know, looking at the franchise, going to training, picked our location and all of that. I was getting really excited. And he was like, you know what? I think, I think I'm going to close remodeling business and work with you. He knows I don't like things like numbers. <laughs> so he was <laughs> like, I will, <laughs> he's like, I will handle everything, the payroll, the insurance, the bills. And I was like, well, that's an offer I can't refuse. So he came to work with well, me. That sounds and perfect. Yes, it was absolutely perfect because all I wanted to do was sell. I just wanted to go out every day and talk to customers. So that was 20 years ago. This summer, it'll be 20 years. And um, wow. we, okay. we have uh, 29 employees. And so we just are having a ball, of course, ups and downs, but we're having a ball. That's awesome. So, okay, I have to ask, what about the sign industry seemed perfect to you? Because as somebody who spent his entire career in this industry, that seems insane to me. I know, because I think so many people end up in the sign business almost like they fall off of a log and they land in a sign company. Like It just seems like so many people are just like, whoa, what is this? That's exactly but, how yeah, we end up in this story. black hole that's the origin industry. story yeah. of the sign. Uh, yeah. yeah, everybody everybody is like that. So I'm always fascinated was, by what when people actually like like make a conscious decision to get into right. this industry. It's very, it's very deliberate. So listen to this, Mike. So I was working at my dad's car business, which is a franchise, but it's a franchise where they're like, here's your product. Here's your car. We got a terrible review. Good luck selling it. By the way, this is what you have to sell it for. And, you know, it's a very managed kind of franchise. And while I loved, I loved the customers. I loved my employees. I did not enjoy that business model of being told this is what you're selling, even if it's a piece of crap and, you no know, good luck. No right. Control. No control. I'm a little bit of a control freak. So I also was like, I don't want nights and weekends. I don't want to be busy around Christmas. I don't want to be hiring minimum wage people. I, I just had this long list. I didn't want to generate a bunch of hazardous waste. I didn't, you know, I just, I knew exactly what I didn't want. <clears throat> And when I compared it to the sign business, I was like, check, 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 check. I mean, everything was a perfect alignment. And 
Plus, of course, my husband, Brian, was like, I can help with the installs because he's, you know, he's an urban modeler and a construction guy. So it just was too perfect. And then when we talked to the Sinorama franchise folks, they, you know, they invited us down for a discovery day. But I was like, I got two little kids. I don't have time to come down to Florida and listen to you gab at me. <laughs> so I, you know, I decided because I'd worked for my dad my whole life, I was like, I'm going to do this on my own. I never consulted him. I didn't deal with, I didn't talk to him yeah. about it. I was like, I'm going to, I'm a big girl. I'm going to do this. And so right. I get all the way to like signing the document, right? Like, you know, the big giant, scary document. And of course my attorney's like, Ugh, it's got teeth. You know, you got to be really be careful. You're going to do this. So I'm about to sign it. And I literally was like, ah, oh, I gotta call my dad. So I called <laughs> my dad <laughs> and I said, I don't know, dad. I don't know if I should sign this. And he's like, well, have you talked to other franchisees? I said, yeah, they didn't say anything scary. I mean, they had good typical kind of complaints, but nothing like the car business complaints I've, I have. And um, he's like, well, do you think they're going to screw you? And I was like, I mean, no. And he's like, well, they're going to screw you. He's like, do you think they're going to screw you hard? And I was like, no, I don't think they're going to screw me hard. That's, I'm sorry. That, that just hits hard. That just hits hard for me. So he was like, then go ahead and uh, sign it. He's like, go ahead and sign it. And I was like, just, okay. And I did. It's not a matter of, if it's just a matter of how hard they're going to screw you. Yeah. yeah they're going to screw you. That's just, that's, that's, a, that's, that's probably weird. the best way I've ever heard that. <laughs> <laughs> okay is, yes. is that a requirement with the fast signs agreement too pete or no uh that well it it's got teeth too don't get me wrong it's got teeth i mean i've been there too uh one might say that when you have that very large document in front of you it's very intimidating very intimidating i mean if you do not use a lawyer if you didn't use a lawyer i mean you're taking a huge gamble but Anytime I ever signed a agreement, I used my attorney. I played it safe. Yeah. And my attorney. I mean, they're typically not going to negotiate. It's not like your attorney is going to be like, we want you to take this out. And they're going to be like, okay. I mean, they're pretty much not going to take much out. But it is really just a case of knowing knowing the, the company. So that's why I think it's important. Mm -hmm. We called around and talked to other franchises. And they came up with some lame complaints. I was like, you think that's bad? Let me tell you what yeah. a car company will do. Like, they will literally show up with you know, brass knuckles and take money from you. So yeah, awesome. I can imagine that. I, I, yeah, I, that is, that's an interesting, like it, it makes me feel better about our industry a little bit, Mike. I'm not sure if that's the same for you. Yeah. Yeah. It's maybe, it's, maybe no, he's, he's still hanging on to the crustiness. Yeah. Yeah. I always will. I mean, that's just, that's just me. I'm a, I'm a glass half empty kind of guy. Well, um, and a franchise doesn't make sense if you don't want the benefits of a franchise. You know, like I, people are always like, is it better to do a franchise? I'm like, I don't know if it's better for me, but I, I would never say that it's better for everybody to do a franchise. So so with the benefit of 20 years of hindsight and, and franchise aside from, from this, just the sign industry in general, did you make the right decision to enter this industry? Do you feel like? Oh, or? 100%. I mean, okay. it was exactly what I wanted. Of course, you know, we all painful mistakes. You know, the sign business is unrelenting, unforgiving. It is unforgiving. And <laughs> you, ha you have to get better at it all the time or you're, you know, it's, it's a really tough taskmaster, but we love it. And I love the employees I get to work with. I love the customers. I love seeing the projects, like just driving around and seeing your resume around town. It's just really, really fun. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Good. Some people regret it. <laughs> that wasn't even names. thinly veiled, Michael. <laughs> I, like, that was hilarious. <laughs> little, some people really regret it. <laughs> if Mike is, if Mike's got a farm picked out in North Carolina right now, so that's yeah. what he's eyeing. I've got, I've got one foot out the door. No, I, 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 I have a love hate relationship with this industry. I, I really, I think we all do. Here. Yeah, I mean, I, I do. But you're, you're right. I mean, it, it's. Hold your feet to the flames twenty four seven. I mean, it's definitely a, a when it wants to turn up the pressure and the heat. It's you know, it's an industry that can definitely do that for you. And, yeah, you have to be worthy. You have to be. You have to really stay on your game. If you can't yeah. kind of just lollygag around it. Yeah, yeah. I, I love yeah. what you said a minute ago that you have the you have to constantly get better at it too. And that mm-hmm. that's like I think one of the I've never heard anybody say that about this industry, but I think that's one of the truest things I've ever heard. Like you can't you can't get lazy in it you can't just say good enough it's good enough because you'll get just gobbled up you know yeah and everybody's trying to turn it into a commodity i mean every print shop suddenly makes banners you know of course they Mm. you know they really go through a major learning curve when they get into that side of the business and so it's like little nibbles on the edges of it which means you have to constantly find new bandwidth because Mm. if you just sit and wait for you know business it's it's just going to get eaten up by your competitors who are who are really especially the print operators they're they're dying like they're you know these last 10 years for them has just been it's been painful to watch really mm-hmm. so they're just figuring out how to take as much of that as they can from us Oof. yeah talk to me uh, i'm actually very curious to to ask you this talk to me about your first full year as a franchise owner what was that like you know, for a lot of sign shops out there, you know, a lot of sign shops fail their first year. What was it like for you coming into a new franchise, having support, but also what, like, what was your employees like? What was the type of work you were doing? I mean, well, whole new industry, not that, the, that far. Not, it's not just extre- the whole franchise, but the, 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 you were completely new to the industry that first year, Yeah, right? I knew nothing. Yeah. I knew nothing. And, um, and so, yes, uh, just like so many new franchise owners, they come in and, you know, you go to training school and you're ready. Right. And so I think I made a couple of really, I had a really a ton of luck and I also made some bad mistakes that turned out to be really lucky. So one of the mistakes I made was I had a, I signed a lease on a property that I wanted to be in. It was a high dollar, like class A facility in the center of our urban area, like right downtown. I was underneath the chamber of commerce in that building. And so we go to start occupying the space and I, the landlord is like, you can't put a sign on the building. And I was like, what? (laughs) And he said, yeah, you can't, no. Have you not read your lease? No, it's a historic building. You can't put a sign on it. So I was like, that's interesting. So um, we had this like neon sign. I'm not exaggerating. It's literally, I could like hold it right here in my hands. Like here, it said Sinorama is this big. And um, hung that in the window and uh, covered the window in decals as much as I could, which of course they were like, you got to take all that crap down. What are you doing? And so... I thought, well, the only way I'm going to make any sales is to, you know, I'm only going to eat what I kill. And so every single day I went out and knocked on doors. I just literally like turned right, turned left, you know, got in my car, drove three blocks, got out and walked. And 
I knocked on doors for two hours a day, every day. I, ta I taught my staff to literally kick me out. I was like, you, I'm going to tell you that I'm busy on email and you need to kick me out because it'll be raining or cold and I'm not going to want to go. So they were, they were like, they were all like, you got to go, you got to go, you got to go. <laughs> and so I literally had to go out and drag every single job back. And we weren't in the yellow pages yet. The internet wasn't anything. So we weren't in the yellow pages yet. So it was, um, it was, it was wow. tough. It was scary. So that first few months, it was literally like, I'd come back to the shop with, I sold a banner and everybody would high five me. And, um, so it was, but that ended up being such an instrumental thing because it made me fearless. I would walk into any business and introduce myself. I didn't care. I just literally was numb. I was just like, okay, this one to do. And so it made me know people. I knew the businesses around me. I knew people I could give referrals. I could say, oh, you know, there's a dentist just three blocks down. You need to go see them. Like I just started to build relationships that way. So in our first year, we opened in July and our first year, January to December, I ended up doing a million dollars in sales, which I did not wow. know was amazing because I was so terrified. I was just like running. I was like full sprint. God, oh God, I got to sell another thing. I got to sell another thing. So we ended up, a big part of that was one client who needed uh, a corporate client who was in a terrible situation. They were in under the gun and they, I just happened to work with them on a lobby sign and then some vehicle wraps. And they said, well, can you wrap 90 buses in 90 days? And I was like, of course, wow. of course I can. <laughs> and they were like, okay, they're in 22 states. I was like, no problem. I, no problem. 22 states. I got this. I got this. <laughs> so we actually sold that project and it took every, I stopped going door to door because all I did all day was manage that project. So it was an amazing year, but yeah, we did a million. So we learned a lot really fast. <laughs> that's, wow. that's freaking amazing because like amazing. we've got guys in our group that are, like they're still a, a been in this game 20 years and still try to crack a million dollars in sales and you've you did it year one like what do yes. you it, do you just attribute that to just just knocking on doors is it like some of your background in in car sales or, or the oh, car I business or the sales background is is tremendous because you know i sold cars right so you're negotiating on you know, an $80,000 luxury car. So you learn to just kind of, you don't think about the numbers, right? I'm just here to sell something. I don't think about that number's crazy. I would never spend that much on a car. So I learned to just not worry about so much about what I was pitching to people. And I learned how to read people and learned how to sell. But my background in the automotive business helped with this bus deal because they don't know anything about buses. They don't know anything about wrapping. I mean, they were just, they didn't know what they were doing. And so I was able to kind of come in as an expert, only being new in the business. But I could talk about the type of paints on the buses and the repairs that needed to be done to the buses. And so, you know, I was able to be expert enough as, you know, as a lot of salespeople say, all you have to be is more expert than your customer. You don't have to be the greatest expert. And I think a lot of times in the sign business, in any business, people become reluctant to sell when they don't feel like, well, I'm not expert enough. And it's like, you don't, I mean, you could, you could read an article about a product and be more expert than your client. So I think it's just a matter of, I'm pretty brave. I'm pretty dumb. I'm pretty like, I'll just say, yes, I can do 90 buses in 90 days and not go check not go fact check that. I was just like, yes, I will do it. <laughs> who helped you? Who helped you quote 90 buses? I mean, that's a pretty significant job. That's your, that's your foot in the door and you're, 
it's a large it's a large job. I mean, now probably looking back, you're probably capable of doing that, but at that time, who how did you go about doing it? Well, because they were in such a rush, that worked to my advantage. And so what I agreed to was a percentage of markup. So I just said, I don't know what it's going to cost because some buses are in New York City and some buses are in Timbuktu. So I, I can't possibly give you a quote, but I will tell you that I will mark it up, you know, at whatever percent over cost and I will do all the project management. I will literally... I will, I will handle all the project management from one end to the other. And so that was enough for them to be like, great, my problem is solved. I can go to my boss and say the problem is solved. And that's the thing about sales. You have to understand why they're buying. If I thought that the number mattered, I never would have sold that job. But I knew that he just needed, I mean, he was just like beads of sweat. Like, can you do this job? And I was like, yes, I can dab the sweat. I can do that job. Hmm. So that's a very interesting approach. You you basically agreed to a markup percentage and I guess some maybe a project management fee. Uh, yeah, along essentially those lines. yeah, essentially I probably it was probably something like a 50% markup over the cost. And then on top of that, I said any body repairs, any mechanical repairs that the body shop can do, like there'll be a light out or the wheelchair lift not working. That's all on top of that. And I'm not going to, I have no idea what I'm going to mark that up. They, you know, I mean, I'm just going to repair it and you're just going to pay that. And they were like, okay. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm sure. Like, I, don't, I mean, it's a job of a think, lifetime, honestly. I mean, it's a job of a lifetime. I, I can't the think I've ever like, heard of uh, somebody pricing something like that. That's really interesting. Oh, yeah, I'm not going to talk about the client. I'm not going to talk uh, about the client. You're not, yeah. <laughs> They're still okay, a client. Well, They're still yeah. a client. Okay, that's good. Oh, they're still a client. Oh, have you done That's another good. 90 buses for them? We have done millions of dollars of work for them over the last wow. 20 years. Look millions of dollars. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Simply because you can just get it taken care of and make it happen for them. Yeah. I mean, we've had to adapt, obviously, over 20 years. We're not dealing with the same people. It's a different company. It's much bigger. You know, it's, you know, we've had to constantly like, oh, you don't want that anymore. What if we provided it like this, you know, mm. and they went from, mm. we want white glove to, we need it cheap or we need it fast. Like we've had to keep adapting to what they need. And sometimes we've told them no, when they want things that I don't want to do. So we've had to learn to just trust that they'll stick around and, but only do really what we want to be doing in terms of spending our time and energy. So did you do a lot of other like managed projects like this for, for clients all, all over the place or? Yeah. So our business model ended up because I got really good, obviously at that, I ended up building a lot of clients like that. So they referred me to other people. I got confident enough. I would pitch to these corporate clients and we ended up building a big business around, you got 12 locations, you got 200 locations, we'll do it all. So for the last, I don't know, eight 17 years that's really been our bread and butter like i've i've hired these very experienced very talented project managers i'm very hands-on i was very much in the personal relationship with these customers and then pandemic hit and all these customers a lot of these most of these customers i'm talking about were in healthcare and they were like stay away don't get anywhere near our facility do nothing do absolutely nothing mm -hmm. don't call us and so we ended up having to lay off staff and we scrapped, I mean, literally they probably canceled a million dollars worth of work. I mean, it was just like overnight. They were like, all that work uh. is completely canceled. So we ended up really having a kind of a, 
come to Jesus meeting with ourselves of like, okay, these clients are gone. So we need to, we don't know how long they're going to be gone. Is it a year? Is it forever? So we need to start building other kinds of business. So we started focusing on local um, and realized this is way easier <laughs> than, than talking to an installer at 9 p.m. out in California and having to, you know, ream them out. Um, this is way easier, just printing stuff and hanging it. So we really kind of decided that this last kind of stage of our business, as we get older, our kids are out of the house and, you know, we have an established company that probably doing a different business model might be more fun and easy and that we don't necessarily need to feel like we have to keep feeding this monster of business. So we did, we, you know, we just completely pivoted and we told our staff, this is what we're going to focus on and we're going to grow this. And we ended up doing an acquisition last year of another local sign company that does a lot of independent, it was an independent who did a lot of local, only local business really. And we, uh, you know, brought their, most of their staff in and, and learned from them and learned from their customers and kind of kept adapting. And now we're actually doing more business than we were doing before that change. And of course it's more profitable and I'm not totally freaked out every hour of the day and I'm not getting calls at nine o'clock at night, you know? So it's, it's it been a very deliberate change and it really was amazing to me to see how fast we were able to kind of adapt. And I would just encourage any sign company out there, if you're in a business model that you're exhausted from, or you're not making money or you're tired of it or whatever, you can change. You can literally change your whole, your business model. I love that. Like, Everything about you is like so different than the norm, Maggie. <laughs> like, like you jumped into the sign industry, both feet, <laughs> no experience. You said, "All right, this is what I want," and then you signed with the Signorama franchise, which I would say, yeah, like the franchises are not known for doing large national projects and and like that type of relationship building with larger accounts. And then now, like 20 years later or 17 years later, you're like, uh, like maybe there's something to like the, the local stuff, the, yeah. the, the kind of franchise bread and butter stuff. Yeah. It's funny. It's very funny. I was always known as like the national project management signorama and a lot of, you know, but yeah, it's, it's a headache and a half, especially, <laughs> especially after, you know, the pandemic and labor rates and, you know, literally I would. You know, especially places like California or something, you would call and say, can you uh, go do drive by? And they're literally like, I can drive by in 14 days and it'll be $375 for me to do that. Like drive by, drive by. And I was like, wow, never mind. Never mind. That's <laughs> outrageous. Outrageous. Pete, you look blown away, man. Yeah. I mean, uh, listen, uh, it's, I'm I'm interested to hear more about this transformation in terms of timing, in terms of like mindset. I, mean, I talk to sign shop owners very often about where they currently are in what we identify as like the stages of growth, right? So everybody tries to get to a certain level where the business can not run with, well, I should say the business can run without them, right? I mean, like, that's every business owner. That's every sign shop owner's dream. I mean, you've made a you've made a pretty you made a pretty big wave for yourself. I'm just kind of curious as to first the time frame in terms of that transition. 
Yeah. How long did it take you to do until you were completely comfortable with it? I mean, it's been a three-year process. So 2020 is when, you know, the pandemic hit. And then last year was 22 was when we decided to do the acquisition. And it was really just designed to fuel. Like it, it was, we had already kind of pivoted. And then we decided, okay, let's, this would actually help kind of throw fuel on the fire of what we were doing. The other thing we did that was really important was years ago, long before the pandemic, I realized that because we were so consumed with doing $10,000 projects and $20,000 projects, we were like, customers would call about a $200 banner and we were like, what? I, no, I don't have time for that. And I realized how, how bad that was. Like, you know, because every large client we have typically starts with like some small order, right? Like they call, they need window lettering. And the next thing you know, they, you know, they, they are doing other work with you. And so a few years ago, I decided that in order to get my staff to refocus on this idea of doing that quick turn stuff, I created a brand within my Signorama called Sign Rabbit. And I was like, okay, people, this is what we're going to do. We're going to start marketing Sign Rabbit. Certain employees, certain salespeople are just going to be focused on Sign Rabbit. So you don't ever do a $5,000 order or a $20,000 order. All you do is $200 banners all day and name tags and, you know, all of that stuff, yard signs. And it took a long time to kind of get them really into it. It took a lot of like, no, really, let's put graphics on our cars. No, really, we're going to do this, like build a website. I had to yeah. really be committed myself. I couldn't just say, this is what we're going to do. I had to, I had to build it so that it was kind of irresistible where they were like, no, really, this, this is what we're doing. We're sign rabbit now. And so now I have two, three, well, three people really focused on sign rabbit and they call themselves the rabbits, the sign rabbits. And they are all about, can you need it in an hour or do you need it tomorrow or do you need it by the weekend? And it went from like, people would say, I need a, a yard sign for Friday. And my staff would be like, oh my God, how are we going to get that done? We got these huge projects stacked up. We can't possibly put a small order like that in front of all these clients, these important, important clients. And now the sign rabbits are the priority. And everyone in the company knows like, no, it's sign rabbit. I don't care. I don't care about, you know, XYZ company. You're going to get, you're going to get that banner done and we're going to get it done in an hour. And we're not going to charge them an arm and a leg. And it's going to be the quality that, that we want to make. It's not going to be some of our competitors who focus on this make some really crappy product. And we don't. We use the exact same product, exact same designers. Everything's the same. We just do it really fast. And it's transformed the whole energy of the company. Is that more for, did you do this for internal purposes or because your market thinks like Sinorama takes too long? It was just, it, it's both. The primary thing was getting my staff's head wrapped around it because they're the one answering the phone and saying, oh, can we do that? I don't think we can do that, right? So I had to fix their yeah. head first. And then once I could fix that, then now they talk about it with customers. And my one of my guys goes to B&I group and you know they literally will call him the sign rabbit. They're like, hey, sign rabbit, I need something next week. Mm -hmm. Like It's literally like it's kind of baking in now with the customers. How did how did the people, the executive team over at Sonorama, what did they think of this idea? They've never, I've never asked, and they've never told me. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I. They've seen it. They've seen it. I mean, this is one of the things about Sonorama that I think, 
I really love. I mean, the founder of Sinorama, Ray Titus, is a entrepreneur at heart. And he wants his entrepreneurs to be successful. He, he is right. not a control freak. Now, he and I have had a lot of arguments because I tend to be on the control freak side of things. So, for example, when I first became an owner and I you know, was successful, he invited me to be a part of the advisory council. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about owners not following the brand, like owners using the wrong color red in their showroom or whatever, right? Like, what are we going to do about these owners? And I remember we got into a debate and I was like, let me tell you something, Ray. I said, when I worked in the automotive business, if they wanted to send you something for your showroom, guess what? It showed up and they reached into your bank account and took the money. So I don't know why you're having such a hard time making these owners get in line. And he was like, that's not how I roll. (laughs) He was like, that's not how I roll. He's like, yes, if they're damaging the brand, I'm going to do something about it. But, you know, me doing sign rabbit doesn't hurt the brand. It, you know, it doesn't make people confused. Like, what is that? You know, if I'm doing good business and I'm taking care of my customers and I'm paying my royalties and I'm being a good citizen in my community, I can, you know, I can create a little side brand and develop it. It doesn't, I still primarily am Sinorama. I mean, you look at my building and it's obviously Sinorama. So, so he's I very... Sign on, I take it you have a sign on your building now. I do have a... I bought my own building. So now nobody can tell nice. me I can't have a sign. Nobody can tell me. <laughs> nobody puts a baby in the corner. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's... To me, it's, it's so striking that it's like you've made a business out of... Like the business that people want to get out of, like all, like a lot of the owners within our, like our Facebook group are like, Hey, I want to do these $10,000 projects. I want to do these $20,000 projects and not necessarily knowing what that entails and like the stress and the headache that comes along with it. Well, what we've learned, like, here's what I would say. I still do $10,000 projects and $20,000 projects and $200,000. You know, I still do all these big projects, but I'm very picky about what I do. Because I know I have the expertise. I know we can do it. I know my people can do it. So why would I, why would I take on a project that I knew was going to make everyone miserable and, and questionably whether or not I'm going to make enough money on it? So what we've really done is said, yeah, we'll take on projects, but only the big projects we really want, the ones that really mm. are creatively exciting. We love the customer. We know the customer is awesome. It's... Um, uh, or, or it's easy to do. Like, it's one of those things where you're like, oh, well, we can do that. That's like, that's, we do that every day. So we kind of put it through a filter of like, you know, it, do we want to do it? Is it something that everybody is in agreement? Yes, we want to do it. And we have debates. There's definitely, you know, I'll get an estimate request and I'm like, ooh, guys, this sounds cool. And they're like, Maggie, that's just fabricated metal. That's just going to be six months <laughs> of hell. And I'm like, all right. It's all right. We'll pass. Do you have a hard time telling your customers no? It's like the you- worst. It's the worst thing ever. Yes, I have a terrible time telling customers no. Okay, so what's your go-to approach? I'm your customer and you have to tell me no. Do you just rip the Band-Aid off or do you kind of like, I say, well- Pete. I say, Pete, you know I love you, man. I would love to do this job for you, but I really don't think I have the bandwidth right now. We are covered up and we're probably covered up for several months, so... And I, I just not going to take on a project where I'm going to drop the ball or you're going to have to be calling me once a week. 
I, I, I can refer you to a couple of great people I know, but, uh, and it breaks my heart, Pete, because I want to make sure you come back to me next time. I really hope you'll call me next time. She's good. She's real good. She's real good. She's real good. I, I felt like, oh, it's okay. I felt like saying, oh, it's okay. Don't worry about it. I'm all right. I'll be fine. Don't cry. Listen, oh. I, that's, 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 you know what? That's, that's seasoned. That's polished. Very nice. I hope Just our to... listeners can, take, I hope our listeners will take exceptional note to the way you did that. That is polished. Thank Very you. And every, well. every now and then a customer will be like, what? You're busy. I'm like, yes. And he's like, I'll wait. I'll wait. I'll wait. Love that. I noticed that you did say I'm covered for the next several months. So I would never have said, I'll wait. If it's months, I mean, you're pretty much setting the ses- <laughs> setting the seed there. Like, call somebody else, dude. I'm not doing yeah. it. Yes, and I get to direct them to people I wanna I wanna take care of. You know, I can refer them to the people that I I know and trust. All right. So the million dollar question: Have you ever referred anybody to a fast science? <laughs> of course, of course, I have. <laughs> very nice. The very, customers, very nice. I, I, the customers, I don't like. I said, <laughs> "Oh man, oh, that's knife to the heart." That's it. Those are fighters, spirit animals. Well, the truth is this: yeah. the guy who I just, the guy that I just bought out his sign company last year, he and I were friendly competitors, and uh, I would always, actually, I always send the customers I didn't want to him. And he knew it. He figured it out. And he and I would laugh about it. He was like, I know when you send me a customer, they are not going to be fun. I'm like, good job. Good luck. (laughs) Hey, it's a free lead. Right. Free business. Uh, That was Mike's strategy for the longest time, too, I think. Right, Mike? It, it was, yeah, no. That's what I always used to do when I had my shop with somebody I didn't want to deal with. I always referred them to the fast signs down the street. <laughs> was... Now we did do business with several fast signs around the country because, of course, we're doing these remote jobs. And and honestly, I, I mean, I've never had a bad experience with those fast signs. They, you know, if they don't answer the phone or they're difficult, I never do business with them. But anyone I did end up doing business with, you know. They do a good job. I, I was not unhappy about it. So I'm friends with many Fast Signs owners. And I will once again throw out my disclaimer that I have nothing against Fast Signs. I have several Fast Signs clients now. I, I just, the, the local fran- Fast Signs franchise in my area was, you know, they did like race car decals and that was about it. So, <laughs> Well, the Fast Signs in our area is very well respected and we've known each other. In fact, I used to do business with them when I was in the car business. I would call him for signs, which is funny. But they do a great job in our town. They're a worthy competitor. Yeah, I've seen nice. some that produce Tell- some pretty spectacular work. So. Yeah. What type of, what's what's the the ninety buses is an extravagant job. I get it. But what's like your favorite type of sign to make? Well, lately we've been doing a lot with the distilleries, the bourbon distilleries in our region, and that's just been a ton of fun because it's kind of an arms race at this point with them. Like they're all just trying to create the coolest visitor experience and the, you know, greatest looking sign. And, and of course they're Mm -hmm. all making money hand over fist. So they're creative, they're fun. They, you know, you, you love doing it because you get, you know, you get to work inside these distilleries. And so that's probably our favorite kind of, of industry to work in is the, is the bourbon industry. 
Are you able to fabricate your own signs or are you outsourcing we, still? We fabricate about probably 75% of what we do, we, we do in-house. So we're trying to reduce that. Like we're trying to squeeze that down. We had a leadership team meeting today talking about, well, squeezing that down. Does that mean we are adding capabilities or does it mean we're turning away work? Like we're, you know, they're trying to, I'm trying to really get my, my leadership team is really running the company. So I'm really trying to just encourage them to think through the options on that. So we want to get to, I'd love to get to 80% on a consistent basis. Nice. What's, um, what advice would you have for other shop owners, Maggie? Like, obviously, you've been – how many columns have you done for Signs of the Times at this point? <laughs> About, uh, too many to count? Maybe 20, something like yeah. that. Yeah. And I, it's yeah. funny. I love writing them, and I'm always, like, just sending them before they're needed because I'm just like, oh, I have another hey, idea, and I'm, hey, like, hey. sending them out. And he's like, whoa, all right, thanks. Yeah, so we, you've got, like, an open soapbox here to, like, jump on and – and talk to the audience like i think be a learner you know i think that if you're not learning you're you're dying you like you know if you're ripe you're rotten um and so if you think you figured it all out it's probably time to get out of the business or turn it over to your team to run your company and learning everything from being willing to try diff something different being willing to hire someone you've never hired being willing to take on a project you've never taken on you know it, it to me the business thrives under just constant innovation. I think that's the sign companies that do really well. When you know when you walk into a sign company that's not innovating. You know, we've all seen it. Like dusty showroom, stuff stacked up in the production room. You're like, why do you have 400 pieces of, you know, dye bond that are cut into weird shapes? What is this for? <laughs> so some master We're puzzle that for later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I might. We're gonna need use it. that. I might need it. I We're gonna need use it. it. <laughs> we're going to use it. It's been sitting for two years, but oh we're going to use God. it. Eventually. Yeah. So I think, I think innovating is the most important technique and it doesn't necessarily mean you, you know, you constantly are reinventing. It just means be willing to, you know, to learn and grow and, you know, try something different because otherwise you really are going to just end up in the rearview mirror in this industry. So we usually ask this question to a lot of our guests. Uh, so I'll, I'm going to, I'm going to ask the same question to you, but we'll, maybe change it up a little bit, you know, what are you currently seeing are the trends today in this business? And where do you see the future of the sign and graphics, the visual communication industry? Well, I probably don't have a really astute answer here. I would say that I think 3D printing is going to become a competitor in this space. Like it's the long way away from being able to produce high-end ADA signs um, with, a, you know, that it's not there yet. But I would be familiar with learning what's going on in that industry. I think that the adhesive vinyls are just getting wilder and wilder. Pretty soon you'll be able to like install something on a cloud. I mean, they're just like, <laughs> I mean, it's just like they're constantly like, do you want to wrap your dog? We now have a vinyl for wrapping your dog. So I think learning like what is going on out there that, you know, and don't assume that because you had a terrible experience with a wall wrap well, that's just stupid. You know, you're going to have a terrible experience with the wall wrap if you're in the wall wrap business. So you just have to kind of take your licks. So I think those things are really innovative. And I think we're going to see a lot with digital signage. Uh, we really are not into that right now, to be honest. We're not really, you know, it's not there, but I do feel like eventually you'll be like pouring your cereal out and a little digital sign's going to fall out and you'll be like, oh, wow, I got a digital sign. 
Like it's just going to get so cheap and, you know, everywhere and ubiquitous. So, um, I do think digital is going to be, it's going to be pretty amazing as it's just still, I still think it's in its infancy. It's just baby steps. Why, why are you not in it? What is, what is about, what about that part is, uh, um, deterring you from moving forward all? down that path i was i was very i was very preoccupied with the you know the national project management stuff and of course it doesn't really lend itself to in-house production i'm not going to be building any digital signage anytime soon so it doesn't really mesh with um sort of our values as a company although one of my leadership team today he was like i'd really love to get into digital signs and i was like don't tell him to it. listen to this. Don't tell him to listen to <laughs> this. <episode. laughs> I, told him, I told him to go for it. I mean, you know, if one of my team wants to like, you know, they want to push the edge and go into something, of course, you know, yeah, let's, let's, let's next opportunity. If you want to take lead and, and work on it with us, but I'm not going to do it. <laughs> I'm done with, I don't want to, digital signage doesn't excite me. And I will tell you the truth that it, like, I don't, I want to work on things that are fun and exciting and I want that for my team. So if digital signage is fun and exciting to him, I want him to, you know, let's explore it, but I don't want to do it. I don't want to get involved in it. Meh. Fair enough. That makes sense. What else? So you what got? is, what else you got? Yeah. 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 So what, what would you say is the future for your business? Like what's the future for Sinorama downtown? Like we've heard your take on the industry, but what's, what's the future for Maggie? Well, it's um, inter- it's interesting. I've been cutting out more and more work hours, so I've been able to work less, and my leadership team is is t- filling the gap. And my husband has a different business. I won't get into, but he has a different business. It's kind of taking more and more of his time. So he's still physically at our business, but he's less actually involved in the day to day. So my hope, honestly, is over the next five to ten years that my team just continues to kind of take up the slack. And I can just be a coach and a, and a mentor and teach them the business and, you know, just continue to operate. We have, we have an amazing facility. We have a great neighborhood we're in. We have an incredible leadership team, young leadership team. We all are really loving it. It's sort of like I'm holding my breath, like we're having a great time, aren't we? They're like, yeah, we're having a great time. I'm like, oh, God. So I don't know. I don't know the future. This is going to crash. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like, okay, well, that means all hell's about to break loose. But it's right now I could, you know, at this level of involvement and stress for me, um, I could do this for quite a while. You've mentioned a couple of times your leadership team. That's not, not something that we've heard too many times with some of our other guests on this show. So mm-hmm. why don't you, would you mind giving us a little insight to what that's like, how often you meet with them, how many members to this team are there and, and maybe what their responsibilities are? Yeah, we have, um, four on our leadership team. So we have um, an operations manager. So he runs production and install. We have a design team manager and we have a sales manager. And then we have a trainer. We have a guy who's like been with me for almost 10 years and like literally his 100% full-time job is training, safety, making sure that we're, you know, people are, yeah. I know it shocks me. Uh, it honestly shocks me because it wasn't really like something that I was like, this is what we need. But when we went through the pandemic and lost all these employees and then we rehired and of course it was everybody quitting, everybody quitting. Like it was just this insane carousel of employees that I was like, this is, I got to do something. So we just, we implemented, I will tell you this, we implemented, um, you guys, I'm sure you've heard about EOS. 
and the traction system, the Gino Wickman program. And we adopted that in 2020 transformative. Wow. Totally transformative. Oh my God. Fantastic. It literally changed my whole life. I was just like, I'll never not do this. So we've been using that system and now I'm able to run this meeting. So we hired an implementer and now I'm able to kind of run it and, and make it go. And that's made a huge difference. So the trainer came in on because we had the three on the leadership team and it was working well, but, but Thomas is his name. I was like, this guy is just, he, he, he's, we call him peanut butter because we spread him around. Like he knows everything. <laughs> so like literally he could work any job in the place, like spread him like peanut butter, any there, any gap, we're just yeah. going to like fill it with a little peanut butter if someone's out sick or whatever. So he'd been doing Love that it. for a while. And then I was like, you know, it needs to be more deliberate. Like he is peanut butter. He's everywhere. You can call on him for everything, but I need him to be more strategically applying himself where he sees, oh, we have a gap here. So that's when I said, you know what, Thomas, why don't you join the leadership team meeting on a short-term basis just to talk about training? Because I know that's your passion. And he loves it. He's just like, I get to train? I was like, yes. He was like, okay, yes, please. It was like this match made in heaven. And now I can't, I can't figure out how to do it without him. I mean, he's, you know, he's incredible. That's such an amazing thing. I wish we started with that because there's a lot of questions that I have with this, but you know, not do not, not too many shops out there of your size, even of your size would bring on a full time trainer. This is remarkable crazy. to me. It's crazy. It's, one might argue that they aren't related to income, but I would argue the opposite, you know, that they're training employees to be more efficient. And, and this gentleman, Tom, now let me ask you, does he have all of your departments under his, under his wing or like design operations, yeah. installation? He, I mean, he doesn't do a lot of hands-on training and sales because he doesn't, you know, he doesn't really have a ton of sales background, but he has sales experience, but he's more hands-on training for install and production. But what he does do for every single department is like get the documents written, share the documents, do the training, come to the luncheon, present the safety. Tra- you know, he's literally building something that will just sustain, you know, and he's yes. he's older. So he, he's going to be able to like move to four days a week when he's ready and move to three days a week. Mm-hmm. And we'll just constantly support that training process that he's in, the the documentation that he's doing. I can't believe it either, honestly. I, if someone told me this a year ago, I'd be like, that's insane. I would never do that. So I don't know. I don't know how it happened. Here's, you can't fight here's what a, works, right? <laughs> Does having somebody like Thomas on, the, on, on your staff allow you to take gambles or risks with, hot, with recruiting, bringing on somebody that's green in many areas that may not necessarily be, have the experience? Well, we almost Does that allow you to feel comfortable? Yes. And we don't, we almost never hire experienced sign people. So, um, we, we always pretty much start with a green P and so, yes, it's, it allows Sorry, me, Mike. it allows me to, yeah, make sure that things go the way that he expects them to. And to be honest with you, I know how to do very little in my company. I couldn't run a plotter to save my life. I couldn't rip a file. I don't even know what that means. So, I can't teach anyone anything. I can't. No, I can't. No. So he, we have, it's been amazing to have someone who has, and he has 10 years of like knowledge, like, and he's the kind of guy, you have these kinds of guys. You're like, 
oh, this company came back and we did this tomato. What red was that? He's like, oh, that was definitely cardinal red. That was definitely cardinal red. Like he just has this crazy mind. <laughs> That's really cool. I, I, one of the one of the the more amazing things I think I've heard anybody say they do in their shop. I, it's the first time I've ever heard of any shop of any size having somebody like that. I mean, I'm sure like Yesco has a you know full program like that, but any independent shop, it's unheard of. It's really cool. I'd love to see what the metrics are in that. Like what you know, like like Peter said, like how what percentage of increase in efficiency you see or well, the one thing we measure is um, is mistakes, and so that. That is really his metric: is how many mistakes are we making? <laughs> is it? Oh, that's very interesting. That, yeah, it's so painful. That, so that, that so that goes on his uh, scorecard, huh? Mm-hmm. How many mistakes people are making? Mm-hmm. Interesting. So that's your leadership team. Those, and I gather that you're in that in those meetings. How often do you meet? Weekly, uh, we meet as a team, and then I do meetings one on one with them, uh, generally weekly or biweekly, depending on how much coaching they want and i assume that's when you're practicing the the eo system yeah the eos meetings are um the leadership team meetings are the eos meetings so they have a they have a very specific agenda and cadence and you just you know you follow Mm -hmm. that process and it makes sense at first you're like what are we doing what is this rocks what's a rock Mm -hmm. but once you get the hang of it it's like you can't now the managers are going i'm going to start i'm going to start doing this eos with my team with my, my team. design team okay. and with my sales team, like they're starting to adopt it and use it with their teams, so it gets more granular in, with the whole company. Awesome, that's great. That's that's fantastic. Thank you so much for for sharing that story with us, and also sharing how a little bit of insight into your leadership teams. There, I love that you said EO said the book st- sitting right behind me there. Uh, it's right there in the corner. <laughs> there it is. Good job. Hey, how you doing? Is it dusty, uh, Pete? Is it dusty, or is you? Uh, <laughs> hey now, hey, hey, you know, you know, no, no. It's actually, it's actually the same, the same system that I consult on. So I would, yeah. when I'm speaking with sign shop owners across the country, a lot of the principles are coming right from that book as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, good. I, it's cool. It. I mean, I think it. If you, I would say this. If you are interested in the system, read the book. It will maybe not make sense, but call Pete to implement for you because ah. it literally <laughs> completely transformed my leadership experience. So it's been wonderful. But I, I that feels like a solid place to stop. And uh, unless we go like another hour on the, the masterclass of the leadership team, which I, I feel like hey, that's probably going to be the big question for the the audience after this episode is like, how do I get a leadership team as well? <laughs> so, 20 years of banging your head yeah, against yeah, the wall. Yeah, That's how you do it. It just takes that long. That's it. Yeah. Maggie, a, amazing conversation. Thank you. Super glad to have you on. Really appreciate it. Thank uh, you. It's been fun. Guys, you guys are great. And uh, I love the different perspectives you all bring to the conversation. It's, it's really, it's really uh, enriching. I hope your audience keeps growing. <laughs> Thank you. Perfect. Guys, any parting shots? Am I, I, can, take, is the, I can take a couple of jabs. I can take a couple of jabs. <laughs> come on, come on. <laughs> yeah. But mama told me never to hit a woman, so I'm not going <laughs> to. <laughs> Let's just say if you and I were neighbors, well, thank 
God we're not neighbors. I'll be sending my dog next door, ripping up your grass. I'd be, I'd be taking your garbage pails in when you think that the garbage man is going to take them. I'm going to drag them back in. Oh, that's no, funny. But it, it, uh, from as a as a franchise owner or a former franchise owner, it's it's great to hear that the franchise was a success for you. Franchising is healthy it, across the board in this space. I wish many people would look at the sign industry. There's a lot of, uh, I love the, uh, just going back to one of the first things that you said in terms of nights and weekends, having that time for friends and family, you know, not being busy around Christmas and you know, going back to those points. That's how, that's why you jumped into this business. Yeah. You know, you, you, you didn't have a design background or construction background you know, where you came from, it's very, you know, they, people come from different walks of life and I'm glad that you found the franchise for you. Uh, wasn't my, it wouldn't have been my choice, but I'm glad that you found Listen the franchise for you. And, and I'm, ha and I'm happy because that means franchising works. So for those that are out there that are interested in jumping into the sign business, whether it be team blue or team red, or there's some other teams out there, but they're not, Come on, let's be serious. It's Team Blue or Team Red. Come on. I agree. I mean, there's two players. <laughs> if you're really looking at it, if you're thinking, I, what would you say to that somebody that's like on the bubble? I know you said that franchising was for you, but yeah, if you're if you're not a team player, like if you're not somebody who's like, I'll take a hit for the team. All right, you know, or I'll take a call from a guy at five o'clock who you know, is brand new and is asking, you know, baby questions about how to start their business or whatever. Like if you're not into that, I don't really think franchising is for you. I'm just, I just love a team, like whether it's my team or my customers or the franchise, like I just love being a part of something bigger than just me and, and being able to play a part and, you know, knowing what I'm good at. And so I think that franchising is for, for those people. And I think, I think people who aren't team players do well in franchising. I'm not saying they can't do well. I'm just saying, I don't think they necessarily get all the juice out of it. I get all the juice out of my franchise, like all of it. I, I make sure that I do good for the franchise and I make sure that they help me when I need help with something. So I think that it can work well, but it isn't for someone who's like, leave me alone. I just want to, I just want to do my own thing. That's not franchising that you don't want to be in a franchise. Well said. Well said. Well said. Yeah, indeed. Thank you so indeed. much for jumping on here. It was great to talk to you. Uh, Thanks for asking I, me. It's I, great. I, I enjoyed this conversation thoroughly. <laughs> I'm sure the guys did too, but um, nice to meet you. I know we haven't formally met, but it's, it's great to get to know you and I look forward to having you on here in a couple of months and maybe touch a base. Yeah, I would love to, love to, you know, anytime. I'd love to hear back from you guys and I'll be, I'll be listening in. <laughs> Excellent. Thanks, Maggie. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Maggie. Talk to you. All right. We'll see you. All right. Wow. What a conversation. Yeah. Really enjoyed yeah. having Maggie on. That was, that was great. She was, yeah, that was really she cool. was spectacular. I love that whole thing about her leadership group. I think that was fantastic. I, I definitely feel like that's a topic for the next episode or a future episode, <laughs> the leadership group. I feel like I want a leadership team now as well. I guess this is our leadership team, but anyway, let's, uh, let's jump into rapid fire takeaways. Uh, Mike, we haven't had you in a while. Why don't you go first, man? Yeah. You know, I love the way she fired Peter as a client. I, 
<laughs> uh, no, I so really, I. I, it was really, <laughs> I think that's something that every sign shop owner struggles with is telling your customer. No, I mean, it's, it's, it's a really difficult thing to do. And there's a, there's a real fear that you're going to lose that customer forever and you're going to offend them and they're going to go tell everybody that, you know, your sign shop is terrible. Like she made me want to continue to buy signs from her and I'm not even a customer of her just by the way she, you know, she let Peter down. Right. It was really, really excellent. I mean, I, I think that, you know, it was the whole thing was a little bit tongue in cheek, but at the same time, I think there's a really good lesson there for everybody to to take. And that's, you know, the proper way to tell a customer no when A, it's okay to tell a customer no and B, that's the way to do it for sure. Yeah, she was really she was really good at that. I mean, I was happy to be fired by her. Yeah, she's that done was, that before. <laughs> she's, you can tell she's done that before because I had nowhere to go with that conversation. I couldn't rebut. I couldn't beg. Uh, she would have just been like, "No, honey, sorry." Yeah, <laughs> she left you zero outs. Yeah, there, there, there was yeah. nothing you could come back with and say. But what if we? I mean, yeah, it was brilliant. I, <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen a better display of salesmanship than that. But yeah, yeah you mentioned tongue in cheek, but it is, but it is a really good way of letting a customer down. I I enjoyed that part. That was a my little little two minute little section of our podcast here, but it was actually very informative on how you can do that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but to be honest, I'm going to come back to that last part. I mean, that trainer. I mean, I'm, I think that's that's news to me. I have never seen that. I don't think I've ever spoken to a sign shop owner that has a full-time trainer on their staff. No way. I think that's that the, the part that I've learned the most about that is that how there's room for that in this industry. I, I I'm thinking about all my, every, all of my conversations with my current clients and sign shop owners I've met in the past. I'm thinking to myself, man, if you can just afford this, how awesome would that be? It's not for everybody, but it's educational. It's eye opening. I think that's the biggest point is that, you know, this business offers so much, this industry offers so much to an owner, to an employee, to a manager. Now, like you just, I just heard of something I've never heard of before bringing on a full-time trainer. Wow. That's amazing. That's going to, that's somebody that's dedicated to systems, to developing your people, to even, you know, kind of pushing forward your culture because now she said, you know, I don't bring in any experienced employees. That's, I mean, I, I have heard that before, but it's also very hard to turn good talent away. But now they're bringing on people that are completely green in the business and teaching them a skill. And I know we all love that. I know we all love that. Like teaching yeah, yeah. the next generation on how to make signs, how to be an installer, how to do service, how to be a designer. I mean, that's what we're, that's what this is all about. That's why That's why we're doing this. So hearing that she's also... Uh, echoing in that in her own operation. I loved it. That's my biggest takeaway. Yeah. I want to tell the world, get a trainer, get a trainer, get a trainer, <laughs> get a trainer. Yeah. So uh, the biggest takeaway for me is just it, the first year that she did a million dollars in sales. Right. And the reason that she did that was getting outside the shop. Uh, I think for all of our listeners that are still struggling to crack a million dollars in sales, Maggie did it in her first year as the only sales rep. I, to me, that signals that you, you can't be afraid to get outside of your shop. If you are not making the sales that you want to make, nobody is going to sell your business better than you, the owner of the business. So if, 
you aren't hitting your goals, like if you're still struggling to hit a million dollars or $750,000 or $500,000, what can you do to drive that business yourself before handing off the reins to your leadership team down the line? That's the biggest takeaway for me. Yeah, and probably the most important one that we didn't even harp on that on the call, but you know, she got out there. handing. She mentioned handing out flyers, getting in her car, making a left turn, making a right turn. I mean, she didn't have a sign it's, shop. It's, she didn't even have a sign shop with a sign on it. Let's, I mean, let's, let's be honest. Like she had, she was dealt a very poor hand to start and did a million plus million dollars her first year. That, Amazing. Um, almost unheard of with no experience in the industry. It's just unheard of with, with no experience in the industry. Yeah. Yeah. Now, did she land a humongous job? Sure. Even her pricing method was a little unorthodox. We could probably take that away from from her little from her little story there. Like just agreeing to a margin over the costs. I mean, like I would never have done that, but that worked. I, I've, I've been in you know my fair share of bid situations where there are so many unknowns. Like you. You don't even know how to price this. Do you just put a number on it and hope that you know your costs come in somewhere where you want them to, and your margins right? I mean, that's that's a tough that's a tough situation to be in as an estimator. And, and yeah, I agree. I never would have thought in a million years to just you know be that transparent, a with what your markup is and what you're making on the job. Just you know, it's yeah. really to, to, totally blew my mind with that too. I mean, she's definitely approaching this industry with a you know different tool set than the rest of us are. Maybe, maybe maybe even a little bit of a different just method of thinking yeah you know she she mentioned she mentioned one of the big one of the smaller takeaways from that was that she said i you, i just solved their need mm -hmm. you can clearly see you know like you know we sell on solutions often in this business like what's the what do you want but she sold off of a need and that's that might be that problem. I'm going to change my answer. That is the biggest takeaway. She was selling on <laughs> a need, not on a want. And I think that's interesting because we often, no matter how many, no how, how many times we discuss it, whether it's a, a beautiful design that you put together, Mike, but it's, it's what the customer wants is what they're going to pay for is what they're going to get. It's not, it may not be what they need. And I'm going to, I'm going to dwell on that thought and maybe use it for our next episode. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's bring it home. Um, if you are interested in being a guest on the podcast, definitely hit us up at hey at bettersignshop.com. If you are a sign shop owner and you are looking for an awesome group of other sign shop owners to connect with, appreciate the drum beats, Pete. Uh, check out our Facebook group, the Better Sign Shop Community. If you liked this episode, make sure you hit subscribe to get all the latest episodes and check out our website, bettersignshop.com. Get free resources and helpful tools on growing your shop. Thanks for listening.